the F5. Goldberg has the opportunity now to switch about him. And, and Lesnar. I think Lesnar struck out ooh, that ring post to his shoulder. Oh, the spear. And the spear. The spear by Goldberg. Almost breaking Lesnar in half. How resilient will Lesnar be? Goldberg with a second spear. Dirty Dog Darcy, and I represent 
Main Event Status Radio. We are broadcasting from Suplex City at the Jackhammer Hotel. Today, I'm joined by the one who's been spearing any competition over at the Bowling, bowling Shoe Ugly Cast, easy for me to say, and at <laughs> What a Maneuver, Joe Drillian. Joe, what's been good? Oh, uh, not, um, you know, a lot. A lot's been good, uh, except for all the wrestling that I've been watching for podcasts lately, and that includes this one. Um, we just wrapped up our second annual Worst of Halloween Havoc uh, series over at the Bowling Shoe Ugly Cast, and uh, man... WCW just had some real gems. Let's just put it that way. I am sad you guys did not review any Vince Russo Hollywood Havoc matches. Was that even well, a in, fan? Did he ever? He never wrestled. I don't think there might have been one. There were a couple that were so short that I didn't want to do them because there were like a minute or two. Yeah, and was, I don't remember if he was actually involved in any of those or if he was just booking them. Yeah, what's the point of reviewing a one or two minute match when? Yeah, that's what's the point. Yeah, it's only going to be a two minute review or whatnot. Right. Exactly. Since yeah, since on that show we like sync it up with the with the match. Just yeah. So uh, you know, but we we watched some some choice garbage. And actually, I'm going to go ahead and if I can, really quickly. Speaking of bad wrestling, my broadcast partner Eric Allen. Uh, and I are doing uh, Extra Life, which is an event to raise money for children's hospitals. We're doing it for the fourth year in a row with some of our other friends this year. And if we beat our our goal of raising $500, we are going to do a live stream of us watching five Psycho Sid matches. I am uh, I'm very, very intrigued by that, knowing how much you hate the Psycho one. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, he is my least favorite wrestler, possibly of all time. Even uh, certainly of of like major, you know, WWE, WCW, you know, caliber guys. Joe, are you feeling okay? You mean he's worse than Jeff Jarrett? He's worse than Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett is real bad. He's worse than Jarrett. He's worse than Luger. He's worse than Bagwell. He's he's I mean, the only one who could maybe give him a run for his money is like El Gigante the slash giant Gonzalez. But his career was so short and Sid's was so long that I it's like the, the length of it and the number of titles he held and the number of different companies and the number of pay-per-views he made event. He made evented two WrestleManias. But I mean, but Joel, Sid is the master and the ruler of the world. I've heard that. I don't know if I believe <laughs> it, but I've heard it. Uh, but, you know, so I just I just wanted to say that quickly. So if you want to give, that event is this Saturday starting at noon. And you can find all the details at extralife.onthestick.com. You can find the details and you can contribute there. Again, if we reach the goal, we will live stream ourselves watching five SID matches in a row. And then, you know, that'll be um, archived and, and preserved forevermore. And so that's Saturday. Just you know, since we we're Saturday, talking about bad wrestling. So Saturday the fifth, correct? Saturday, November fifth at noon. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you know make sure we got the dates correct and all that fun stuff. Yep, absolutely. That is when that's when the event is. If we meet the goal of five hundred, the watching of the Sid matches will be later next week. So. You know, stay tuned for <laughs> updates on that. I guess something that, I guess, 
really wasn't I guess wasn't much fun for me was Hell in a Cell this past Sunday, Joel. We kinda talked a little bit off air. You said you had some stuff to talk about. I have some opinions about some stuff that happened on Sunday inside of Hell in a Cell at Hell in a Cell live on the WWE network. Nine ninety nine. Anything anything in particular you would like to talk about before I I guess crap all over their booking? Brother, you want to talk about bad wrestling, we're talking about it with Hell in a Cell. So first of all, and I've said this a million times, and I said it again on Twitter, you know, the week before the event, they should bring back the Halloween Havoc. They brought back the Clash of Champions branding. They still occasionally do something called the Great American Bash, whether it's a, an episode, special episode of SmackDown or whatever it is. They've brought back some branding with that stuff. They should bring back the Halloween Havoc brand and stop doing these pay-per-views where you have to book a gimmick match. It's terrible for the the long-term storytelling. So that's my first thing, and I've been saying that since they started doing these. You know, one th- Royal Rumble Survivor Series, that's one thing. It's like a special event. The Rumble is a tool that allows for better storylines, I think, and the Survivor Series is just sort of a fun one-off thing you don't really need to shoehorn the booking so much you can just say oh well we're putting these guys together to see who's the best tag teams and who's the best guys and it's it's a special event who can win the survivor series but when i'm what i'm talking about is when you're saying we we have a pay-per-view titled after this violent gimmick match that should be booked into there should be a meta plot around a feud that leads naturally to you know, a tables, ladders, and chairs match, a Hell in a Cell match, an Extreme Rules match, or whatever, you know, that that those should naturally come out of the booking process. And by having those pay-per-views, you force things like, who needed to see Rusev and Roman Reigns in a Hell in a Cell? I surely what, didn't. I mean, what was the... Also, that that whole angle is a disaster. Because everything that I've seen, and I don't watch the weekly shows very often. Most of, I watch, I've watched all the pay per views, which they're like bi weekly now. So like I watch the pay per views and I try to keep up on that stuff. But near as I can tell, the story is that Roman Reigns is just a dick, and Rusev is just like he was trying to get married, and Roman Reigns just like crashed his wedding for no reason and is like a dick to his wife for no reason. Yeah, that's and pretty much like, the storyline. But they're trying to frame it like Reigns is the baby face and it's just not it's not working because nobody really gives a shit about Roman Reigns, no matter how badly WWE wants people to. Yeah. Um so that match was garbage and didn't need to be in a cell. And honestly, the the biggest thing the match that I had the biggest problem with, because I was I saw it as the one with the most potential, was the women's match. And I fully, and, yeah, I fully agree with you on that one. You know, this is a historic match. I'm talking about the first WWE pay-per-view in history, you know, since... Uh, I mean, the first WrestleMania wasn't technically on pay-per-view, but, I mean, we're talking, you know, 30 years of history, essentially. This is the first time we've had women headlining. The first time we've had women in a Hell in a Cell match. And... It was not good, and the and those two women should be able to have just. A I mean, great I basi- yeah, I basically was hoping for the you know this was going to be sort of the women coming into their own and giving us like you know 
Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard in this in the cage. You know, yeah. like this should have been these two have been feuding since NXT. They came up together. They've got enough, you know, and, and, and to their credit, they did in a lot of ways really bring the hate, but they just the booking was so bad. Yeah, because when they when Charlotte Charlotte attacked Sasha before everything started, before the cage lowered and Sasha almost got crushed by the cage and the ladies He's climbing up the cage. I honestly, I turned and I walked away, walked in the kitchen. I walked away for a few minutes because with, you know, Mick Foley being tied in with the storyline a little bit on the go-home Raw, I did not want to see any other women falling off any part of the cage and through a table. I, that is just something I don't feel comfortable with seeing and... When, when I turned back around and turned saw my TV, that was when Sasha was on the, on the, it was, yeah, it was about to be brought out and all that, and I just, like, okay, I have no interest in this match, I don't anymore. Well, so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't that, and actually, I would have liked to see them go up to the top of the cage, whether someone goes off of it or through it or whatever is another matter, but I would have liked to see them go all the way up to the top, but... The match was very clearly booked to make Charlotte look like a beast. And in the process, it really made, I think, Sasha look kind of like a chump. And and it's the same problem that I had with the Roman Reigns-AJ Styles series of matches before they put the belt on AJ. And it's just, you have one person who is, um, you know, in a lot of ways, the fan favorite, whether that means babyface or heel, but certainly the one the crowd is behind. Um, and they're just unloading everything. I mean, those, some of those AJ Styles, Roman Reigns matches, AJ hit, you know, four or five phenomenal forearms and a Styles clash or two Styles clashes and a 450 and all this stuff. And Roman kicks out of all of it. And then he does one bullshit Superman punch and AJ's done. And it's the same thing here. You know, Sasha Banks hits the bank statement like three times. uh, Charlotte finds her way out of it every time and one natural selection puts Sasha down. But going back to the beginning of the match, she gets powerbombed through a table, which the only the only play the cage has there is that she was up there. And that looked terrible because Charlotte had to reach and was sort of like creeping her fingers up her thighs to grab like to have enough of them to grab to pull her down. And Sasha just kind of sat down like didn't really fight it it looked really bad i thought and then she goes to the table and that's fine but the last time you know like when dean ambrose and seth rollins knocked each other off the cage uh was that last year two years two years ago two, two at helena cell yeah 24 years ago and it, it looked kind of like shit because they both kind of just fell like they punched each other a bunch of times and they both just kind of fell off and that part of it looked goofy but they fell from a way greater height and there was no tease on a stretcher and all that killed so the crowd was you know it was in boston which is sasha's hometown the crowd was super solidly behind her and that injury spot totally put the crowd on ice um and it didn't kill them completely but it really dampened the crowd which you know the crowd was really hot for Sasha and this match again clearly was designed to make Charlotte look good. So they chilled the crowd. So they weren't as hot for Sasha. They weren't as hot for anything because they sat through this tedious fucking injury angle. Um, and then Sasha gets up. Sasha's fire was great. She fires up. Does, you know, they do a couple spots, but basically the whole thing was Charlotte in control. There's some really weird psychology stuff about like, 
there's a there was a moment where Sh- Charlotte had Sasha in a perfect position to give her a backbreaker, and instead she just kind of like shit canned her over the top rope. And then like the announce team tried to put it over as like, oh, she hit the apron or whatever, and her back is like that. Her back can't take that because the whole thing was like her back. It was her back that was um, injured by the power bomb through the table, and so that's what is you know. And so, but it it just didn't like it was a weird. There there was a thing where Sasha went to throw Charlotte in, but like it was kind of early in the match. They were brawling on the outside. Sasha tosses Charlotte in so she's sort of. Um, perpendicular to the ring post and I'm trying to figure out what she's going for and immediately it's it's obvious that it was just a setup so Charlotte can pull her feet in and post Sasha but like I couldn't figure out what the reason was that Charlotte or that Sasha would have thrown her in in that position in the first place because she didn't throw her into the post and she didn't throw her all the way into the ring she sort of slid her into the ring exactly perpendicular to the post and then grabbed her foot for some reason. Like she was going to drag her back out, even though she just put her in there and then Charlotte pulled her foot in and posted Sasha. And it just looked, it looked really, it was, it was dumb. And there was a bunch of stuff like that. There was this whole thing with a chair, a really great struggle with this chair. They set up this chair in the middle of the ring, like Raven used to do, you know, sitting like, like setting up a chair, not just laying flat on the, and they're going back and forth and each one is trying to slam the other's face into the chair and they're trying to figure out who gets there first. And Sasha ends up, uh, I think with a drop toe hold and then and then picks up Charlotte's head and repeatedly like five times smashes her face into the chair. Um, you know, and then two seconds later, Charlotte uh, isn't selling it anymore. And she reverses something on Sasha and Sasha and like, I think gives her like a side slam over the seat of the chair or something. And yeah. then Sasha's right back to being dead. Which to me too, did make sense when yeah, Charlotte's head was being smashed in the chair. I kind of had a feeling that she may have pulled, a stunt from her daddy and blade herself a little bit, but that didn't happen, which I guess to each their own on who wants to see that or not. But yeah, just I guess out of the three Hell in a Cell matches that we did see, I wish the women's match probably would have, I wish would have went on first. I don't, I don't, see, I don't wish it would have went on first. I just wish it would have been better and lived up to the slot that it was in. Fair, I guess, but it's, it, yeah, but, I agree but with a lot there. of it. A lot, the thing that bugs me the most, I think, is that I really feel for for the the two ladies because I don't really think it was necessarily their fault. I think whoever you know, Pat Patterson or whoever it was that produced this match, um, just did a shit job of booking it. Unless again, unless the goal is strictly to make Charlotte look good and we don't care about Sasha, then I guess that was fine. But like, I don't, I don't. In a situation like this, I don't see the point. I don't see why they want to why they want to play hot potato with the title. Um, they should have just kept the title on Charlotte the whole time, rather than having Charlotte drop it on TV to Sasha and then give it right back to Charlotte on the pay per view. They should have kept it on Charlotte and had Sasha have the the conquering hero moment in front of her home crowd in the cell in this first main event, and that would have gotten over you know way better. But then. Um, just sort of wrap up my psychology talk about this. And the last thing that really kind of bugged me is, um, well, the last thing was the finish, which I already sort of talked about, but there was a moment where they're struggling. There's a table set up on the outside and they're on the turnbuckle and they're struggling. And Charlotte goes like, she's going to give a superplex. And what I think probably should have been done is they should have done what, um, is often done, which is Charlotte kind of breaks the chancery and they maybe trade some forearms and then Charlotte gets knocked off the buckle 
from that position and goes through the table. But instead, they did some weird thing where Charlotte got off the buckle and then Sasha stepped over it and sat down on it and like kicked her off. And she kind of went through the table, but she went through the table from basically the same height that Sasha went through the table at the beginning that led through this whole injury thing. And, you know, 30 seconds later, she was up and she was fine and not barely selling anything. I mean, this whole match, again, just Sasha looked so much worse than Charlotte. Charlotte looked like, you know, um, Wonder Woman and Sasha kind of looked like a chump. And I, I don't understand why it was booked that way. And I don't, again, you know, Sasha hits several finishers. They all get reversed or kicked out of or or not kicked out of, but broken because it's a submission. One natural selection from, from Charlotte at the finish, you know, puts Sasha down. And I just, I, I just, and it's, it's. It's more and more the WWE main event booking looks like that, and I just don't like it. It it the people kicking out of all these finishers or getting out of all these finishers, and and um, you know it, the booking really being in favor of one person when it doesn't to the detriment of somebody else. I mean, if you're gonna do TV matches and you're gonna put people over to try, like, you should be doing the build. On, on the free TV matches and on the pay-per-views, you know, unless the point is that the heel's been avoiding the baby face or something like that where you're going for, you know, this is going to be about this person getting beat up because that's what the people want to see. But that's not what the deal was on this match. This match was supposed to be these are the two, you know, best of the best and they're going, you know, into the main event of a pay-per-view for the first time ever. First women's hell in a cell. For, I mean, it should have really been a much more 50-50 match. And at the very end, it should have been, you know, in my opinion, that, that, that one of them, even if it is Charlotte, just, you know, wouldn't quit. Or, or that Sasha just couldn't finish the job or whatever. And, and, and again, it just looked like Sasha threw everything but the kitchen sink at Charlotte and Charlotte just kind of shrugged it off by and large. And, you know, that was that. And that, I just really, you know, and most of the rest of the card, um, just was not worth writing home about, honestly. Yeah. Cause I guess I joined the pay-per-view halfway through the Owens Rollins hell in a cell match. And yeah, cause I also went back afterwards and you know started the match from the beginning. I also went back and watched the Rusev Reigns match, and I thought Rusev Reigns was the shits. So I yeah. thought that was terrible. And I feel like ever since WWE's been doing a pay per view pay per view every other every third week, I feel like ever since SummerSlam, all these pay per views have been worthless. And I don't think there's really been any match or matches out of the last couple pay-per-views that's really worthwhile going out and seeing. You know, I, I generally agree with you. I thought, I thought Owens and Rollins was the best match on the card, but I still didn't really like, like I would say if anybody's listening to this and you didn't see Hell in a Cell, you really don't need to go back and watch it. There really wasn't anything, um, in my opinion, um, and I feel the same way. And I was really the, the thing is, I was maybe foolishly optimistic about sort of where they were going with the brand, bring back the brand split. They have so much talent. Um, and I felt like this would be a chance for guys and ladies 
who were not getting enough uh, enough time, enough uh, enough of a highlight, enough uh, chance to work would get a better chance. And I feel like it really hasn't panned out. And for the last couple of years, I've been saying over and over again that WWE pay-per-views, you know, maybe on balance, they haven't been great. But for the last really since they launched the network, at least pretty much every WWE pay-per-view up until the brand split had at least one match on it. You know, just about I'm not going to say someone is going to like tweet at me and be like, what about this pay-per-view that was total garbage? But, you know, most of the pay-per-views, oddly enough, like kind of excluding WrestleMania, maybe. But like most of the pay-per-views have had at least one match that is like very good to great. You know, like it is worth watching going back and watching this one match because it is like just, you know, borderline instant classic, fantastic work. Um, and these, since the brand split, I feel like that's kind of gone away. Like I felt like I could rely on, like, I'm not wasting my time because one of these matches is going to be spectacular. And, and you're right since the brand split, I've, and, and, you know, with the biweekly pay-per-views, it's just like, I'm just not seeing a lot. It's like, it's just like another television show almost, you know? And I'm sure you, you might agree with me on this too, that since the women's title has been brought back at WrestleMania, at Hell in a Cell, we just saw, saw the fifth title change or title switch for the title. And these, you know, with Charlotte and Sasha switching back and forth to the title, to me, it started to get to the point that each title change has started, started to become meaningless, in my opinion. Right. That's, I mean, I was sort of saying that earlier. Like, there's this hot potato thing that they're doing with, you know, with the with the women's title on, on Raw, at least. Um and I just don't – I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, again, if they would have just left the title on Charlotte the whole time and had Sasha go over in the cell, I think that gets over like gangbusters, you know. And I feel like that title change, especially inside the cell, would mean a lot more than even Sasha's first title yeah. title win. Absolutely, 100%. And I think that even if you book – if the match is the same but in the finish – you know, everything else in the match is the same, but at the finish, Sasha wins. You know, say she she put you know, she slams her running power bomb through that table that she set up in the corner and and gets the pin. I think you largely det- all that stuff I said about, you know, it's it, it made Sasha or sorry, it made Charlotte look like a beast and it made Sasha look lesser. If Sasha goes over, a lot of that is invalidated because she ends up winning. Right. But if Charlotte shrugs off a whole bunch of the stuff and then wins as well, you know, Sasha doesn't ends up looking a lot worse than if, um, you know, Sasha is battling and battling and battling and throwing everything she has. And it takes this spectacular thing that no one really does, which is running powerbomb through a table to put her down and keep her down. Then that is a point to Sasha's sticktuitiveness and her fortitude and her desire to keep fighting, and she doesn't look bad. But if she throws everything she has at Charlotte and then she doesn't go over at the end, then she looks like a chump. So I don't know, man. I, I didn't think it was a very good show. I I didn't think that match was booked very well. Uh, and again, I I feel bad mostly for Sasha Banks because it just wasn't what it could have been and it could have made them both look amazing. And I think it just sort of left Charlotte where she already was and made Sasha, uh, look weaker. 
And I guess to get into why I got you on the podcast for, and hopefully you're not done ranting, Joe, what was your thoughts when I initially got a hold, hold of you to ask you to see if you wanted to come on and talk about Brock Lesnar versus Bill Goldberg from WrestleMania 20? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I remembered hating it, but I hadn't watched it since, you know, uh, 13 years ago, uh, just about 12 and a half years ago. Um, actually, fun fact, uh, current NXT superstar Austin Aries was at my house for WrestleMania 20. Oh, really? That's an uh, interesting mm-hmm. fact. Yeah. Um, but I remember hating this match. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's... that. I, I, I figured it was coming. Either you were going to contact me about it or I was going to do a bowling shoe ugly about it or something. I, I With them doing this again, it was only natural that someone would want to talk about this. Yeah, because um, yeah, I know there's been rumblings about, you know, Goldberg was going to come back after he was featured in the new 2K17 WWE game and how it seemed like the 2K guys kind of ways booked Goldberg and Brock at Survivor Series. I, I wasn't really that interested in their rematch at Survivor Series until I watched Goldberg's initial promo a few weeks back. And after I heard his promo, Goldberg actually got me interested in how, I guess, Bullshoe Ugly their match may be at Survivor Series. And I, <laughs> I was thinking, okay, I'm kind of interested in their match at Survivor Series. I wanted to get somebody on to talk about the WrestleMania 20 match. And you were the guy that first came to mind. I'm like, I love to talk about this match with Joe because I'm sure, this, like you said, this be more aligned towards the bowling shoe ugly cast that you do. You know, the problem with this match, uh, well, I don't want to start talking about the match proper unless, you know, if you want to, if we want to sort of explain okay. the situation going into the match before we start actually talking about the well, match. Let's, but. let's wait, I guess, a little bit because I do got a few more questions for you uh, okay. before we get into it. I guess what, in your opinion, what should we expect out of Brock versus Goldberg at Survivor Series? You should have the lowest expectations possible. Which I guess kind of <laughs> answered my next question. Could this match live up to anybody's expectations? Uh, if their expectations are the lowest expectations possible, <laughs> it could. That's just, I mean, you're hedging, right? Like, that's that's my feeling. If I go into this match with zero expectations, and then it turns out that it's good, then, or even, like, watchable, then I'll be like, oh, cool. Like, that was way better than I expected. But if you go into this match expecting, I mean, let's put it this way. Anybody who's out there who's listening to this and doesn't know the match we're about to talk about firsthand, watch that match, the match that we're going to talk about tonight from WrestleMania 20. Watch that match. And then imagine if these guys, if you think these guys can do something better 12 and a half years later. And that is, that should set your expectations. And so I know most of the time for the current WWE pay-per-views, I normally don't have any expectations going into it that just in case if everything was bad, you know, I wasn't let down. You know, if, so if it's acceptable to okay, then, hey, blew away any expectations I had. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, like uh, uh, Dean Ambrose and 
you know, Kevin Owens or, or Sami Zayn and, and Seth Rollins or, you know, we're, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about two guys, one guy who, you know, was at his peak in the 90s and one guy who was, you know, probably at his peak in terms of, you know, his his physical fitness, um, you know, 12 years ago, but his his career peak probably isn't that long. I mean, he, he had some really good matches when he first came back, you know, uh, four years ago, I guess that was three, four years ago. Yeah, both that, yeah. He had a couple of really, he had a, some matches against Triple H, he had a couple of matches against CM Punk that were just, I mean, really good matches. He, he even had, you know, some matches uh, for the title that were, that were really good. And I feel like in the last year or so, he's started maybe kind of phoning it in. I don't really know the best way to put it, but I, I'm like the sort of the luster is coming off of Brock Lesnar a little bit. And I think part of it was when he first came back, they only brought him out, um, you know, what, once every four months he wrestled Triple H and then he was gone for three months and then he wrestled, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now that they've been using him regularly, they hung the title on him and I, I think the, the sort of the sheen is sort of coming off a little bit. And he's, again, past his prime. He had diverticulitis. He's, you know, 40-ish now. It's just... And uh, Goldberg's got to be 50-ish. Yeah, I think Goldberg's about, I think, right around 49 to 51-ish, I believe, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, kind of talk about Goldberg a little bit. If it wasn't Brock Lesnar to have Goldberg's first match back at Survivor Series... Who do you think that's on the current WWE roster that could bring out a acceptable to okay match out of Goldberg? Oh man, that is tough. It's the, who. Um, okay, well, I would say. I, well, I would say that the answer is probably not to bring Goldberg out of retirement. That's probably the best answer. Fair, but fair if enough, you, yeah. But really, someone that I think could have like a watchable could like carry him to a watchable match. Um, my first instinct, honestly, would be like Cesaro. Okay, I totally did not think of Cesaro. I came up with a short list and kind of looking at it, I was thinking maybe a Samoa Joe, maybe a Rusev yeah. if Rusev was booked a lot better, a AJ Styles, a Seth Rollins. Maybe a Finn Balor if he wasn't injured. And um, I know this won't ever happen since what happened back, I guess, in 2003, but maybe even a Triple H. Um, maybe Triple H. I Some of those guys, I just think their style, like AJ Styles, I just don't think his style, no pun intended, meshes <laughs> well um, with with Goldberg. I I just don't think that would work. And I don't like, like the reason I say Cesaro is cause I, I, your, your Samoa Joe uh, option, I think probably would also, he could also have a a watchable match with, and actually Kevin Owens could probably have a watchable match with Bill Goldberg at this point. What do you think about Seth Rollins? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I just, I honestly just, the prospect of watching Goldberg have a match in 2016 is really just not something I'm into at (laughs) at all. Fair Um, enough. I mean, I'm I'm planning on watching Survivor Series, um, you know, 
I just don't. I have no idea what we're gonna get. I really don't, and I, I wouldn't have. I'm again. I'm trying to go in with zero expectations because the truth is that Goldberg was never that good. Um, and now that he's fifty and hasn't wrestled in over a decade, I don't see that changing for the better. And that's why I wanted you on, Joe, to talk about this match because I feel, you know, I feel like when I was kicking on this idea about reviewing this match, I wanted to get somebody on that would know, I guess Goldberg during his peak, and I felt like you know you and Eric would be probably two of the better guys to, for me to get on to talk about this match because you guys would know what what to expect out of Goldberg in his peak in 98. Now we're watching a match from 2004. Now reliving it in 2016. I don't expect... I expect this match in that Survivor Series to be probably worse than the WrestleMania 20 match. I mean, I would... It seems very likely from from where I'm sitting. And I totally agree with agree with where I'm sitting too with where you're at. Yeah. Okay, well you kinda of mentioned a little bit about the the I guess the like the build up of the match. Do you feel like we should kinda of talk about the build up to the WrestleMania twenty match? Well yeah, I just I watched the video package okay, beforehand. Same, okay, same here and I guess I'll let you describe the video package so I do have a few questions for you uh, from my thoughts about the video package. Right. So this was the year um, this was I was wrestling myself quite a bit. I think 2004 was one of my most active years. And interestingly, was probably the year that I watched the least WWE programming. I feel like WWE was really at a pretty like 2004 to 2006 ish. Like WWE was at a serious low point, um, you know, in there for, for me personally. And I think a lot of people agree with that. It's sort of like. You know the the new version of the new generation, like that time in the nine in like the early mid nineties when it was really bad. Like the early mid two thousands was really bad as well. Um, in spite of the fact they had some really great talent, um, you know they had guys like Finley and Edge and um, uh, Jericho, Jericho, Benoit, like all these guys who really could work, but the booking was just really bad and. The brand split was sort of a new thing and just wasn't working out similar to now wasn't really working out the way that I think they wanted it to. And mostly the, the creative was just abysmal in those years. Um, you know, the, the JBL and his cabinet was insufferable. Evolution was Joe, largely insufferable. Joe, come on. JBL was my hero in 2004. Don't crap on my childhood that much, Joe. <laughs> I, I that stuff that with the Basham brothers and Orlando Jordan and all that stuff was terrible. I'm not terrible. Gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you, Joe. I just want to tease you a little bit. Yeah. Well, so so, but essentially, what happened was, and and they brought Goldberg back. So the the big miscalculation was, and people, a million people have gone over this, so I won't belabor the point. But essentially, you know, you had a an invasion angle where Vince shelled out enough money to buy WCW but would not pay to bring in any of the serious stars. You had Mike Awesome and you had I mean the biggest star was really Diamond Dallas Page. They had DDP, you know, they had Mike Awesome, they had Rhino Rhino and and uh like uh Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare and Shane, 
excuse me, Shane Helms, who, I mean, not that all those guys are bad workers, but there's no star power there. Yeah, just like you said, first the biggest guy out on WCW. Booker T and, Booker T and DDP were yeah, the two, I was you know. just going to say those two first the biggest two guys from WCW, and I was thinking about this too while, you know, getting my notes together for the podcast today. What, how How much more money... Vince McMahon could have brought in if he would have signed Goldberg even for six months. Right. And I mean, here's the thing. In, invasion is already the most, you know, the most watched, most money-making, highest buy rate pay-per-view that is not a WrestleMania in the history of WWE. Uh, there's a couple WrestleManias that have beaten it, but it is it is the biggest thing, the biggest event they've ever done that was not WrestleMania. And it could have been even and the whole angle that and the whole angle that followed could have been even bigger if they'd have, you know, and, and, and the thing that blows my mind is that, you know, right in the wake of the angle being over, Ric Flair shows up, Hogan Hall, Nash show up, Goldberg shows up like you know, Piper comes back, like all these people who had been in WCW, you know, basically everybody but Sting comes to WWE after the invasion angle is already over. So they get Goldberg. And of course, what everybody wanted to see was Austin versus Goldberg. And we never got that because by the time Goldberg came in, Austin was retired because of his neck. But we get kind of a version of that, I guess, in this in this match. But we'll we'll sort of get there. But basically, the setup was that you know uh, Goldberg had come to the WWF, and um, or maybe it was with WWE by this point, I guess. Yes, so WWE. They, he'd, he'd come to WWE, and he was uh, gonna go out and win the Royal Rumble. And this was the Royal Rumble where Brock Lesnar defended his title in the greatest Royal Rumble title match of all time against Bob Holly. Um, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, that he, he, uh, he goes out to the Royal Rumble and he's going to win the Royal Rumble and he's going to go to WrestleMania and he's going to win the title. And Lesnar interferes in the Rumble and uh, basically leads to Goldberg's eliminate. He basically eliminates Goldberg from the Rumble, even though he's not actually a participant in the Rumble because he's a champion. So um, as revenge for that, the following month at No Way Out, Goldberg interferes in the match between Lesnar and Eddie Guerrero for the title, which leads to Eddie Guerrero becoming the WWE champion, which is still a great moment. And they really ignore the fact that Goldberg interfered in the match, by and large, these days. Um, yeah. You know, and... Uh, and then that leads to this match, which was the final match of both of these guys in WWE for for Goldberg until oh. next month. Yeah. yeah, until now for Lesnar for I think eight eight or nine years. Give eight or years. Take. Yeah. And before we go any more, Joe, I wanted. I guess you really didn't touch on one of the biggest things I felt like I got out of the video package was I felt like it seemed. Like the, like this whole match, this whole storyline was tied around Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I say that because it was Stone Cold that gave Goldberg the ticket at No Way Out, that which led Goldberg to interfere in the match against Eddie Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then it was Stone Cold that came out and on Raw and asked Vince McMahon to sign the match, and Vince is like, "Okay, if you guys want it that bad, you got it." And Stone Cold, you're the referee. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's 
I don't know. To me, I feel like this match was tied in, was brought to us by Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I really didn't like the fact, watching this match last night, giving that feeling right away that we got this match 12 years ago because of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, yeah, but I think... I think when you know all of everything about this match, like that it was both of their last match in WWE for quite some time, it makes a little more sense that Austin is the sort of the weird epicenter of the match because Austin stayed around and these guys were both done. And really, when when you talk about I mean, you get to the end of the match and Goldberg goes over, but really Austin goes over. Yeah, Austin gets the biggest rub out of all this because he leaves both of them laying at the end. So fair. I guess I didn't look at it in that aspect. You you mentioned it too, uh, kind of talking a little bit. Do you do you remember when fans knew that both Goldberg and Lesnar were done at WrestleMania twenty? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely making the rounds in the in the dirt sheets and you know on like uh, like lordsofpain dot net, which is probably still a website, but I don't know. But I used to read it once upon a time. That was sort of where I got all my wrestling news when I was uh, in college and stuff, high school and college. Um, so I think everybody knew. And then I mean, Jr. even acknowledged. Or it's so, okay. So the match starts. I mean, I guess we're getting we're sort of getting into the match at yeah. this point. Yeah. The match starts, and immediately the crowd is chanting, you sold out at Brock Lesnar. Yeah, you sold out, and they turned into the na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and JR acknowledges it. JR says, well, the, rumor, the rumors are that he's going to leave for the NFL, which, of course... Yeah, Brock, uh, Brock Lesnar, that is. Yeah, didn't pan out at all. Uh, he, went, he went to the Vikings, and they cut him right away. Pretty much immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Jerry Lawler also said, too, that Goldberg w- went to the NFL, been there, done that, and now he's wrestling, which I felt kind of funny that that or that, that Lawler was putting over uh, Goldberg for being in the NFL and now wrestling, and that Lesnar was wrestling and was going to go try out for the NFL. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the traditional thing, though, right? There's yeah. so many wrestlers who came from football as to say, like, oh, well, they, were, they did football, but now they're – this is serious business. This is professional wrestling. Um, I mean, some people did both, right? Like Wahoo McDaniel uh, played for the New York Jets and wrestled at the same time. Do you think that with the current state of professional wrestling and pro football, somebody could do that nowadays? I really don't think so. I don't think, like, I don't think, I mean, there, there, uh, who, someone was trying to be a two sport athlete recently um, you know, and I just, I think the way both leagues are structured, it would be very hard for us to have another Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders or Wahoo McDaniel even, um, wrestling is obviously way different because wrestling is all year round. So you have to figure out a reason to sort of write them out for half of the year. Um, or just admit that they're off playing football, but then, I mean, yeah, I no. the short answer is no, I, I don't think we're going to see that just because of the way both, um, both, you know, MLB, NFL, and WWE all work at this, you know, at this point in time. Fair enough. I guess the closest person we will get is Mongo McMichael. Oh, God. Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I don't know. I, I, uh, ha- I had to ma- make that Mongo me- reference because I know you absolutely love Steve Mongo McMichael. 
I might dislike Mongo's work even more than Sid's, actually. Um, uh, but uh, again, his his career was not nearly as sustained, and he did not reach really nearly the heights as Sid. So I, again, I, I Sid like I have an extra disdain for Sid because of that. Fair but enough. Mongo's Mongo's bad. But sure. talking about bad, I want to get your thoughts on the crowd chanted Austin before even before the two guys locked up. Well. So Austin has like a near mythic status, right? And I think by and large, it's well earned. Um, He is, and I wasn't a huge Austin fan during his original run. I was sort of a contrarian and I also didn't know anything because I was uh, in high school. Um, But now rewatching his stuff as we do what a maneuver, um, you know, Austin is legitimately, one of the, I mean, forget forgetting about like a lot of people use like the money that people make or the the draw that they are as a metric, and I, I that's to me that's the same as saying, well, you know, Nickelback sold a whole bunch of albums, so they must be awesome, right? Like, no, that's not to me that doesn't that doesn't work out. Like, yeah, Nickelback sold a lot more records than the Ramones, but the Ramones are still a way better band in my opinion. Um, and so this the idea of saying, well, he drew so much money. Um, to me is like, well, yeah, but so did Hulk Hogan and he kind of sucks. And so did the ultimate warrior and he totally sucks. And, you know, so, so whatever with that, but Austin is legitimately one of the all time great. The reason that he was able to draw that money, I think is because he had all of the tools. He could work and tell a story in the ring. He could talk people into the building. He had a great look. He had a presence. He, and so I, Austin has this mythic status that, Pretty much at this point, especially given Hulk Hogan's recent history, and even though Austin has some bumps in the road and, um, you know, has had problems with, uh, you know, basically being a wife beater at various points in his life, uh, which is way not cool at all. But um, I don't know that there's anybody besides maybe The Rock, you know, who has the same place in the hearts of the sort of wrestling populace at large. Um, and I think a lot of people view the rock as kind of a sellout because he went and did movies and all that stuff and didn't, you know, but, but Austin had like, so the, whatever you want to say about Lesnar and Goldberg and how popular Goldberg was for that period of time and how much people liked Lesnar then and liked his more recent run until again, very recently, Austin has a place in wrestling history that, you know, just no one can really overtake, I don't think. And so people are going to chant for Austin no matter what, you know. And and again, they know that the crowd knows that these two guys are gone and they know that Austin's not. So they're definitely going to, you know, they want Austin to do what he does ultimately at the end of the match. Which makes sense. I was going to ask that Well, you push answered that. We knew, as fans knew, at, on March 14, 2004, that, that Brock and Goldberg were leaving, and we wanted to cheer for the, the one guy that was staying, which was the referee for the match. Right. And who, again, was someone who had already endeared himself to the fans over you know the last seven years, by and large. So. True. I guess we might as well, this kind of, to me, leads up to when the guy's finally lock up which happens this match I think, is like 
this match is like watching fucking paint dry. Yes, which when the guys finally locked up, I think if I remember correctly, they tried twice and both times. They lock up, yeah, they lock up twice and they just stagger around the ring in a lockup. And it's like farting in a church. Nothing really. Farting in a farting in is farting in a church. At least someone's gonna laugh inevitably. Um, you know, it's just it just. They they walk around, they circle each other forever. Austin signals for them to fight. They keep circling, they keep cir- they stall forever. They lock up, which doesn't make any sense. Brock Lesnar cut this promo about how he's losing sleep because the title meant everything to him, and Bill Goldberg, you're the reason for that, and I despise you and I want to destroy you. And like they lock up, which is one of my biggest pe- like I'm I'm like known now on wrestling Twitter as that guy <laughs> who hates it when people lock up in a hot feud. Um, and I hate it. I extra hate it here because they do it twice and they just they just dance with each other. They stagger around in the lockup. And I I hate it. And do you hate it? Do you feel like the fans were then justified uh, starting to chant this match sucks when they started to do, I think, a side headlock or something like that? They chant this match sucks. They boo. They, their crowd does not like this match. Nobody likes this. This match is terrible. And it's not even really, like, fun terrible. It's just super boring. It moves at a glacial pace. They hardly do anything. It's like both of them know it's their last match. They're phoning it in. Neither of them wants to really, like, risk getting injured or anything. So, like, it all feels very anticlimactic. Like, it's supposed to be this thing, this meeting of these two huge dudes, like, you know, like, like Lesnar is the Goldberg of this generation of the of the ruthless aggression era, and you know, um, you know Goldberg is the and like and it's just it's it's anticlimactic. It runs at a glacial pace. They do about a total of six moves. You know, it's just fucking boring. One thing that didn't seem boring to the fans. So was, yes. So yes, I think the fans are justified in doing it. Is the answer fair enough? Yeah, something that didn't seem this is a move that wasn't boring to the fans at MSG was when in words of Jim Ross, when Goldberg hit the military press into the spear, and the fans seemed to rise to their feet because, well, we finally saw something in the match. Because yeah, someone finally did a move. So they so they do they do all the they do the strutting they do the lockups that takes forever then they start doing this shoulder tackle spot where like neither of them bump like Goldberg hits a shoulder tackle then Lesnar hits a shoulder tackle neither of them bump then they finally shoulder tackle each other and they both bump and it's just it's plotting and it's terrible um, and I don't like when the crowd boos some things like the you fucked up chance I hate. Um, like botchamania is my least favorite wrestling related thing on the internet because I just I hate that shit. Um, you know, you're talking about people who are out there doing a live performance in front of a huge audience. You know, it's not like regular television. If you are making a film or you're making a TV show or you're making a YouTube video and you blow a line you can go back and do another take. In wrestling, you can't do another take. You're in front of a live audience. It's like a play or a musical, and it's like live theater. It is live theater, right? You can't do another take. And people who get on um, workers for that stuff 
absolutely enrages me. You fucked up chants are garbage. I hate them. Um, but I totally think that the crowd in this case is justified in booing because they can tell that these guys are sleepwalking through this match. It's boring as hell and and you know, that's I'm totally fine with, with them getting on these guys for for not giving them what they paid for, which is, you know, a decent match. Fair enough. Then are you ready to talk about the finish of this match? Because I really don't feel like there's really much happening between the military pressure to the spirit then the finish. Well, Lesnar Lesnar puts in this weird submission hold, right? So they did. So Goldberg does the military press into a spine buster, which YJR calls it a, a spear. I don't know, but military press into a spine buster. Then they do like a little bit more stuff, like he tries to kick out, and then Lesnar puts him in this weird rest hold, kind of like chin lock, but his arm is laced in there. Kind of looks like shit. It's not as bad as a bear hug, but it kind of looks like shit. It and, looked like uh, it looked like an arm hug to me. Right, and they do this. For however long, and then you know um, they do like a little sort of fight spot, and and Goldberg breaks out of it, and then Lesnar goes right back to it. Um, it's 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 bad, and then Lesnar kicks out of a spear. Which, by the way, Goldberg did not really cover Lesnar that great when he hit the first spear. No, no. So he goes for the spear, and Lesnar kicks out. Then Lesnar hits an F5 and Goldberg kicks out, um, which since it's WrestleMania, I don't have a huge issue with. Like, I, it bothers me now that WWE does it in every single pay-per-view in multiple matches. People kick out of multiple finishers. But in a big WrestleMania match, like, I get it. It's fine. And, and the at, spear isn't really a finisher anyways. And at, and at least, you know, Goldberg kicked out of one spear and or Lesnar kicked out of one spear and Goldberg kicked out of one F5. Right, so they're even up, and also, like, it doesn't matter if Lesnar's made to look like shit because he's leaving, so yeah. who cares? Um, you know, so, oh, but I hate, I hate, so I, we are getting into the finish now, I guess. Yeah. Lesnar, uh, or sorry, Lesnar won to kick out uh, on the spear before the F5, what leads to the F5, is Goldberg bitches about the count, and I hate that. Uh, the babyface, especially a like a super strong babyface like Bill Goldberg, should not complain about the count ever, in my opinion. Um, you know, at the risk of sounding like you know someone like Jim Cornette. Um, you know, when you complain, it, it's it, the audience does not sympathize with that. Um, you know, it's like. Like if if today if the Indians came out and said, well, we lost the game because the Umps didn't, you know, call it for the tarps on the first spot of rain. We played through that, but then they called for it on the second spot of rain, and so we lost the game because we like our pitcher got cooled down by having to sit through this rain delay. Everybody would think they were being total assholes to complain about that. True. You know, yeah. like that is not, that's not something that gets people behind you. So when the babyface complains that the count was slow, the audience does not, you know, the audience is not going to get behind that. That's not a good babyface tactic. The, the babyface should not complain about the officiating unless the officiating is blatantly corrupt. 
You know, if it's if it's if it's NWO referee Nick Patrick, then the babyface can say this is obviously, you know, but even then it should be something to the it should be after the fact. And it should it should be I want a rematch because of this, not, you know, retroactively make me the winner because of this kind of thing. It's, you know, yeah, Stone Cold called it down the middle. Right. 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 And that's that's the biggest thing. It's Stone Cold. And the, the commentary team even points it out. That Stone Cold's cadence on his counts is consistent for both guys. So I really hate that Goldberg complains about the count. Yeah, when Goldberg was complaining about the count, Lester went for his own spear attempt, which Goldberg dodged. Yeah. Then, yeah, then Goldberg got then Goldberg hit Brock with a spear of, of his own. Mm-hmm. Set up for the jackhammer, and the match finally was over when Stone Cold hit the mat for the third time. Yeah, so so right, spear jackhammer matches over. Uh, Goldberg, you know, sort of walks away triumphantly. Lesnar gets up, gives the gives the finger to the crowd, then gives the finger to Stone Cold, gets a stunner. They play Austin's music. The crowd goes bonkers for that. He call you know they throw him some beers. He does the beer swelling thing on the second buckle. Goldberg comes back in like you're not sure if he's going to try to attack Austin or whatever. Austin throws him a beer. They both have a beer. They they like they cheers very violently with these, you know, Miller lights or whatever. Uh, and then Austin stuns Goldberg and the crowd goes totally bananas at Austin having stunned both of these guys. And again, like I said earlier, really, at the end, Austin is the one who goes over. He leaves both these guys laying in a pool of beer and the crowd is just eating it up. Well, especially that they are extremely, extremely unhappy that both Brock and Goldberg were heading out, and like you said, Stone Cold Stan, their hero conquered the, the ruthless aggression hero and the WCW hero. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, should we? Exp- I guess you answer one of the questions I've had. Was this match as bad as people remembered it to be? And I feel like with your review, yes, this match was absolutely horrid in your opinion. This match is is it, it's I, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but it's it's worse than bad. It's boring because even if you watch something that's really bad, like the you know the Chamber of Horrors match from Halloween Havoc '93 or whatever that you know whatever year that's from, um, you know. That's bad, but it's also funny. This match is just boring, which is the absolute worst thing a professional wrestling match can be. Then, Joe, what can be worse than a boring match? Uh, nothing. I mean, another another boring match 12 and a half years later. <laughs> I was just going to say, I feel like a <laughs> match that could be worse than boring would be their rematch at Survivor Series. Yeah, I mean it. It again. Your best bet is to go into this with no expectations. I, you know, um, I I don't like the chances of this match being anything good. I think the fact they're bringing back a lot. They're you know most of the pay per view is going to be classic Survivor Series matches, which I'm excited for to be honest. Right, which I, which I feel like they have not done in a long time. Well, especially um, with what they're doing too with. I feel like, like the main adventures on Raw and SmackDown, the tag teams from each brand and the women's from each brand, I'm excited to see how those three matches will shake out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like last year they had two traditional Survivor Series matches, only one of which was on the actual pay-per-view. Um, you know, the year before they had two. The year before that they had two. The year before that they had two. You know, and we're we're going back to now. We're back to 2010. They had one traditional Survivor Series match, and this year they're going all. It's like the, the entire card, I think, except for one match, except for except for Goldberg, uh, um, uh, Lesnar is all. I believe, as far as what I've heard so far, is all traditional Survivor Series matches. Because yeah, all so far, what I've heard is just the Goldberg and Lesnar the rematch and. Well, I don't know if it's just those three other Survivor Series matches that has been announced so far as of us recording. Yeah, the last time they did three was in 2009. There were three traditional Survivor Series matches. Um, so yeah. they're due. So they really could stand to crank that up again. Um yeah, 2008, 2009, they were, like, serious about the Survivor Series thing. But then you go back before that. Oh, 2006, they had three. Um, you know, and there's a couple years sprinkled in there where they just had one. And, but, I mean, if they do more than three, because uh, they said they're doing one for the brands, yeah. one for the brands with the ladies, and one for the brands with tag teams, that they're all three brand-based, right? Yeah. Ladies, tag teams, and, and singles wrestlers. That is correct, yes. Yeah. So, and I don't what I don't remember the last time they did like a a genuine one with a uh, with um tag teams. I want to say that in the very early years they did them with tag yeah, teams. Yeah, so I want to say what the second year would have been what 88. So I think that would have been the last year we saw a, t- a tag team traditional Survivor Series match. Right. And I, and I assume they're going to do it the way that they used to do it, which is if you uh, if one guy is pinned, both guys are eliminated yeah. from that. Yeah. Which I hope so, because I don't want to see up to what crapload of crapload of falls. Yeah, I mean it would be ten, ten, or, uh, yeah, potentially nine falls <laughs> to, to end that. To end that, yeah, uh, I, it looks like eighty-seven was the last time okay. uh, they did the tag. They did the tag Survivor Series. I'm sort of skimming through the okay. rest of them. 87 was the first year? The first year was 87. So okay. 87 and 88, they or did the, tag style ones. Yeah, that would have been yeah, it then. Or tag team ones, I should say. Okay, and then, yeah. yeah, and then it looks like I don't see any others where they actually did, um, you know, where uh, they did. And the last year that, the last year that it was all, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, and then the last time that they did an event that was, you know, all traditional Survivor Series matches except for, like, one match. Would it be 91 when Taker won the title? Um, it looks like it was 93. There was okay. a dark, well, there was a dark match, but in 93 on the pay-per-view, the only match that wasn't Survivor Series was Heavenly Bodies versus the Rock and Roll <laughs> Express for the Smoky Mountain tag titles. What a card. <laughs> and the rest was all traditional Survivor Series matches. That's, uh, that's That funny. seems to be the last year where that was. there was only one match that wasn't, you know, traditional Survivor Series. 
there's been multiples. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, no. Nope. That one had several. And then, like, 98, there weren't any because that, was that was the title tournament. The, the, the deadly game. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. It, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm um, cautiously optimistic about the sort of card in general as far as I like the traditional Survivor Series match. And this is what I, what I like about the Survivor Series, going back to what I was saying at the beginning about you know these pay-per-views that have these gimmick matches – it's something different, and it only happens once a year, and there's never another situation where they're going to book a Survivor Series match, or, you know, there certainly shouldn't be. Um, and you can kind of work storylines around that as opposed to it forcing you to work a storyline into that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes total sense, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited at the idea of having several Survivor Series, you know, classic Survivor Series-style matches. You know, Joe, something I'm excited about is that we have some Twitter questions. Oh, well, do tell. Well, I guess the first one really wasn't a question. It was more or less a statement that we that you talked about. Uh, the first Twitter comment was from Jared Tibbetts, uh, at 23JTMoney. He says, The mere fact that the WWE thinks their rematch would be good is laughable. First match was terrible. Only saving grace was Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Jared pretty much agrees with you, Joe, that the first match... If it wasn't for Stone Cold Steve Austin, it would have been worse than ter- worse than boring. Absolutely. Uh, the first actual Twitter question was from Beverly Hills, at Beverly Hills MES. And he asked, how much of your enjoyment of a match is based on fan reaction? I know for the Dirty Dog, it's 100%, but what about Joe? Um, it's not, really, honestly. I don't... Um, I mean, it... it I did talk a lot about how I feel like the um, the the women's Hell in a Cell match sort of killed the crowd. Well, I but, think that's different, though. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. If the crowd's not into a match, but I am, I don't. It doesn't really matter to me. There are some terrible crowds, yeah. you know, in in pro wrestling. Um, there are some, not all. Some Philadelphia crowds can be really bad and they react really poorly to stuff that I like a lot. Uh, Some New York crowds can be really bad and they react poorly to stuff that I like a lot. Some crowds react very favorably to stuff that I think is utter garbage. So I I don't know. I don't really care. I mean, I, I, it's, I notice it, but it, so I I always notice it and I think it's worth mentioning and worth talking, especially when a crowd is really hot for something. Yeah. Um, or when a crowd is really hot for someone and WWE or whoever isn't pushing that person, even though the crowd is on fire for, for you know, Daniel Bryan, for example, or CM Punk for, for a time before they did really start pushing him. Um, I think it's worth mentioning and sort of discussing, but, like, it doesn't affect my enjoyment of a match at all in, in either either way. Yeah, I guess I wanted to kind of tie that in with the match that we just reviewed the fans were completely shatting over Goldberg Lesnar at Madison Square Garden back in or 2004. Yet, we were, yet, they still seemed pretty hot about vocalizing how much that match was the shats. What's the difference, in your opinion, on a crowd like that that we just reviewed compared to a crowd that you were just talking about that, I guess, compared to the crowd for Charlotte and Sasha at Hell in a Cell? 
Um, well, because I think that the the crowd was sort of quelled at Hell in a Cell because of a bad booking decision when there's no action for five solid minutes because they're doing this stretcher spot, you know, the crowd is going to lose some enthusiasm um, as opposed to, you know, if you're talking about this crowd that just isn't into it from the beginning and is very vocal about it. uh, You know, I think that's, it's not the booking that drove this crowd under it's the performance. And so I guess there's a difference there. Because uh, the crowd knows that these guys are leaving, and and with Sasha and and Charlotte, it was that the booking they were hot, and it was booked so that there would be this big long lull, and the crowd just kind of lost, you know, interest. I guess. Fair Black enough. Uh, the last question, which I know he's pretty popular on what a maneuver, in asking questions. The last question is from Bill Mercer at <laughs> Bill Mercer MEFs. <laughs> And Joe, Bill ha- wants to know how much better the first match and the rematch would be if I, Bill Mercer, was a play-by-play man. Hashtag world-class announcer. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he probably would have called the spear as like a like a shoulder run or something or like a – I don't know. Uh, it probably would have been uh, – well, it – the problem with this match is that it was boring. So with Bill Mercer calling it, it would have been less boring, I can tell you that. Well, would he <laughs> have made a worse call than Jim Ross when Jim Ross called the spot military press into the spear? Into a version of the spear? Yeah, he probably would have called it worse, actually. He probably would have called it a uh, lifted him over his head into a throw him on the ground or something like that. I ways I feel like the 2016 Bill Mercer could be better than a 2016 Michael Cole. Uh, I mean, he'd definitely be better than a 2016 JBL. I, th- I think <laughs> Cole and JBL are both. The, the problem is that I, I like that Cole and JBL aren't together anymore because they're super insufferable as a team. But now one of them is on each show. So there's like one super insufferable person on the announce crew, no matter which show you're watching. So you're screwed either way. Yeah, basically. So, Joe, we might as well get to the plugs for the podcast. Plug away, Joe. Oh, happily. So you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at shake underscore well. Uh, what you're mostly going to find there is a lot of talk about old video games and old, you know, sort of B-rate movies and uh, occasional opinions on music. That's a lot of what you're going to see there. I've sort of corralled my wrestling tweets by and large to the what underscore a underscore maneuver account on Twitter. You can follow us there. Um, I tweet about wrestling. Most pay-per-views I live tweet. Um, sometimes I'll watch old stuff and live tweet that. And of course you can find out whenever we're recording a new episode of our podcast, what a maneuver uh, which is a week-by-week journey through the Monday Night Wars. Uh, we are recording an episode next week about uh, Over the Edge 1998, which emanated from my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Jason Mann from Spective will be joining us for that, which, which I'm looking forward which to. Which I am extremely excited to listen to because Jason Mann's always been a great voice on professional wrestling, in my opinion. Absolutely. agree 100%. Um, generally, um, yeah, those, so that's like anybody who's listening to this, that's sort of where you could find me in general. Um, again, I do just want to, want to plug once more. 
that uh, we are doing participating in Extra Life this Saturday, November 5th, starting at noon, going until noon on Sunday, November 6th, 24 solid hours. We play video games. We'll be talking about all kinds of nerdy stuff. And if you can donate to help hospitals and the Children's Miracle Network specifically, we'll be playing for Children's National right here in Washington, D.C. And the any donation is tax deductible you may want to consult your work my workplace uh offers matching donations um so if you give you can tell your workplace that you gave and present them with a receipt and they will um you know they will match that donation which helps a ton and um you know the money never passes through my hands at all or anything like that it'll go straight you you make a donation through paypal and it goes straight to the hospital um, and it's just, it's really important and it's something that's very, you know, near and dear to my heart. I just, I think that, um, you know, children and their families should never really be in a position where they're put out to pay for medical costs and that kind of thing. And so, um, it's a really great event. And if we reach our $500 goal, Eric Allen and myself will be watching five consecutive psycho Sid matches that will be chosen by a friend of ours who is a Sid fan for <laughs> yes. us. For us to suffer through. I'm excited. Um, I hope you guys ray or may I, or hit and exceed the five hundred dollar goal. Yeah, and you can again you can you can go right to our extra life page if you want to give or if you want to see what's going on, you can go right to our extra life page. It's extra life dot on the stick dot com. You can find all the details there. And again, you, you know, even if you don't uh give, just you know, just hang out, watch the watch the stream, let people know it's happening. It'll be a good time. And for me, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Dirty Dog MES. That's dog as in D A W G at Dirty Dog MES. And also go to miniventstatus.com for past episodes. And for Joe, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. We'll catch you guys in the next main event. Do you wanna be in my game? My game, my game. Wanna be in my game? My game, my game, wanna be in my game.